It's time for the Alien Conspiracy Podcast. We are your hosts, Agent ETA, Agent Ether, and Agent Anderson. Come along as we examine UFO sightings, conspiracies, and all things strange. You can follow the show on Twitter at AlienConPod. We also have an email address, AlienConPod at ProtonMail.com. And come check us out on Discord for live shows and interactions with the hosts. This week's episode, The Guy Hotel Memo. Finished a little early there. Not to be confused with the Guy Hotel, which is a whole completely different thing. Did you Google something you weren't supposed to? No, but autocorrect kept changing hotel <laughs> to hotel. <laughs> and I was like, Guy Hotel. I'm like, that's not what we're doing this week. <laughs> that's that's not something I want to do at all on this show. That's a whole other show. All right. <laughs> so the the Guy Hotel memo, this is so something that's sort of been well, it's been around since 1977. Bruce Maccabee got it released through a FOIA request. Doctor? Yeah, do- doctor, doctor. <laughs> yeah, he got it released and nobody really took it seriously back then. Everybody pretty much considered it to be a, a hoax. And they thought that it was um, describing a hoax by a dude named, um, what was his name? Silas Newton. Yeah, we'll get to him in a little bit. But uh, recently, so the original, uh, the original document which I'm going to read it in a moment here because it's real short. The original one had some redactions, but we just got through the Black Vault. Uh, John Greenwald Jr. just got the completely unredacted version of the document, Mm -hmm. which is why we're talking about it today because it's fairly rare to get these documents completely unredacted. You know, that, that doesn't happen that often. Yeah. So I figured, hey, let's do a show on it. It's a, you know, current event-ish, kind of. <laughs> you know, the FBI has their their area where they store all of the data is is also called the vault. It's called the yeah. vault. The vault. I didn't, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. If, if you listen to the, the podcast that he does, the Black Vault, you know, John's podcast, he will often mention that and you say, hmm, that's quite the coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> they named theirs the vault because he was first. His, really? The, the black vault was around before the FBI's vault. Maybe they're fans. Yeah. Well, I'm, they definitely know about the guy. He's, <laughs> he's probably <laughs> caused them who, know, who knows how many headaches. You know, like he's, uh, he's pretty much, uh, when it comes to getting documents released, he's, he's the mm-hmm. dude. I guess this document is pretty much the thing people want to see in the vault. It's been viewed like a million times. Oh, yeah. More than that. More than a million. Mm-hmm. I, the number I saw was that there was a period of time like in a, when it was getting really popular in the early 2010s, it was downloaded like over 2 million times in a short period of time. People just, they want to hear about it. Yeah, that's the number I saw. But uh, let's take a moment here to say hello to Agent Kruger. Agent on the scene. Who's just showed up. What's up? Fashionably late. No, it's all good. You're barely late at all. So 
are you uh, you recording and everything, Agent Kruger? We're talking about the Guy Hoddle memo. So I'm going to go ahead and read the uh, the memo here because it's pretty short, and I have both versions. I'll point out where it was redacted and what those redacted parts said. We have that information now. It's actually not a huge amount of redactions on this one, surprisingly. So yeah, anyways, it says, Office Memorandum, United States Government, to Director of the FBI, and that would be J. Edgar Hoover at this time, from Guy Hoddle, SAC, Washington, Special Agent in Command in Washington. Uh, the subject, Flying Saucers, Information Concerning, and then handwritten below the subject is Flying Discs or Flying Saucers, is handwritten right there. I'm not sure why. And the memo says, the following information was furnished to SA, or Special Agent, and then the rest of that paragraph is redacted. So the redacted part says, so the unredacted part again is the following information was furnished to SA. Now the redacted part is R.H. Kurtzman by Carl Howe, Special Investigator, Sex Squad, Metropolitan Police Department. So usually, I guess the way this works is that the local police department would give information to the local FBI branch. And because we know this is coming from the Washington, D.C. FBI department, then we can assume that that was also from like the the Metropolitan Police in uh, Washington, D.C. That's where we can assume it came from, although it's possible that it came from somewhere else. We don't know for sure, but most likely this was the Washington, D.C. Police Department. And I would like to mention also that that was not a slip of the tongue. It really does say sex squad, S-E-X squad. <laughs> I don't it know why. It seems like it's, and it's been said before, but I, I agree completely. That that's a very odd place for this to be coming from. You know, I mean, I, I wonder if, if like maybe UFOs have been assigned to that squad, maybe somehow. Or maybe that's, that's a typo probably. <laughs> But that's a strange typo. I don't, yeah, I, don't know. I don't know about that. Does the police department have a sex squad? I mean, is that a thing? Well, I mean, there would be like a, a sex crimes division, and maybe they just called it the sex squad back then. You know? Maybe, yeah. If you know what this means, if you're in law enforcement, go ahead and let us know. Send us an email. Yeah, the, the sex squad. <laughs> you are part of the sex squad. All right. The next paragraph, originally nothing was redacted in the next paragraph. So here's what it says. An investigator for the Air Force stated that three so-called flying saucers had been recovered in New Mexico. They were described as being circular in shape with raised centers approximately 50 feet in diameter. Each one was occupied by three bodies of human shape, but only three feet tall, dressed in metallic cloth of very fine texture. Each body was bandaged in a manner similar to the blackout suits used by speed flyers and test pilots. Okay, now the next paragraph did have one little part redacted, and that was somebody's name. That was the informant, Carl Howe. So according to Mr. Redacted, which is the first version, but the unredacted says, according to Mr. Howe's informant, the saucers were found in New Mexico due to the fact that the government has a very high-powered radar set up in that area, and it is believed the radar interferes with the controlling mechanism of the saucers. 
No further evaluation was attempted by SA Redacted, but the unredacted version, we know that that's Kurtzman, same as the first paragraph. So no further evaluation was attempted by S.A. Kurtzman concerning the above. And that's it. That's the entire memo. So but it's, it sounds like it's a secondhand account or maybe even... Third hand, third fourth hand. hand. Yeah. Um, somebody told somebody a story and it got one pushed up the chain of command. One skeptic... Uh, said that it was an eighth-hand account and they traced it through, you know, eight different parties and that it was almost certainly not true, that particular version (laughs) of it. But um, we don't know for sure where the original information came from, but it was always assumed that the redacted informant was Silas Newton, who, again, I'm going to talk about in a minute, but... um, we, We now know that that's not where we got this information from. It was actually furnished to Special Agent R.H. Kurtzman, who would have given this to his boss, Guy Hottle, who would have then forwarded it to the director of the FBI. And he got it from, again, from Carl Howe, a special investigator in the sex squad of the Metropolitan Police Department. So that's where the information comes from. Uh, We don't know where Carl Howe got the information from or if the police department was somehow investigating this or if it's anything credible to it at all. Um, John Greenwald said that he is going, he's sending requests to the, the Metropolitan, the police department to try to get, if they have to see if they have any files on this that can illuminate it, because if they had a file that says exactly who reported it to them, you know, and whether or not they investigated it and why they forwarded it to the FBI and all that good stuff, because I mean, if it was nothing, then it's unlikely the police would have forwarded this to the FBI. They must have thought there was something important here. Otherwise, they wouldn't have bothered to forward it to the FBI, which makes it sort of interesting. But the FBI insists, though, if you go to their website, they have like a whole page devoted to this. Right. And they insist there's nothing to see. In fact, at the very end, I was reading the whole thing it's a couple paragraphs they say sorry no smoking guns on ufos the mystery remains lies lies the really interesting thing about that fbi statement is that they don't connect the case to guy hottle in fact they straight up say we don't know what this report is or where it came from it's a mystery right they say that it's a mystery right in there almost like they're trying to egg people on a little bit even though they said there's nothing to it They're saying, you know, this is, there's nothing to this, but it's still a mystery, you know, instead of just saying this is a retelling of a hoax, basically, you know, which is sort of weird that they said that, or maybe they, who knows, why would they say that? They're trying to egg you people on. They're trying to sort of poke fun at it. I think they're poking fun at it. Yeah. They're kind of trying to deflate it in that way yeah you know like oh those conspiracy theorists they're at it again (laughs) yeah sort of a tongue-in-cheek kind of a thing yeah all right so i have an excerpt here from a news article from the sun in england from 2011 so this is just one example of when this document was sort of went by the wayside it's it's come back a few times over the years but it made a really big resurgence in the early 2010s, uh, people started to see this thing online when the FBI brought their vaults online. They had had this thing online already 
but it was like their old version of their their vault. They they didn't call that, but they had documents online. But clunky. It was clunky. It was hard to find stuff. But people found this document and they pretty much went nuts. So this is from April 10, 2011. The title of the article is Aliens Exist, Say Real Life X-Files. The top secret memos appear to back up conspiracy theories that extraterrestrials landed in the U.S. town of Roswell before they were sent to the infamous Area 51 U.S. Air Base. Three circular-shaped spaceships crashed containing the bodies of extraterrestrials which were only three feet tall, said a special agent in 1950. Last night, British UFO expert Nick Pope, who investigated mystery air threats UFO for the Ministry expert. of Defense, said, <laughs> "There are these are the real-life X-Files. This document could be the smoking gun that proves UFOs are real. The FBI published the document along with thousands of files available in a new online archive called The Vault. Now we I don't know if we've mentioned Nick Pope before but um he's he's a pretty big name in the field but he says often his quotes well almost always his quotes are like that where he says stuff that on the surface could be you know like oh my gosh these are the real life X-files but then when you read carefully he's really not saying anything at all <laughs> you know and uh he claims to be you know he basically claims to be the the English version or the British version of Mulder is essentially the image he goes for. But in reality, he didn't. Re- he was just he was just on the the press desk. He didn't really do a whole lot of anything. Really, he didn't ha- certainly did not have access to all of the secret stuff behind the scenes. But okay, so anyways, let's back up here a little bit. So that I mean, when this thing came out again in the in the early two thousand and tens. Everybody went berserk over it. They thought it was the smoking gun and they thought that it was basically proof and it got sort of tied in to the whole Roswell thing. But the memo is from 1950 and the whole Roswell thing was in 1947. So there's the memo doesn't say anything about Roswell. It doesn't actually say uh, location at all other than New Mexico. It doesn't say where in New Mexico. And there's really no reason to believe that this has anything to do with Roswell. It's possible. It is possible that it has something to do with Roswell. It could be that a Roswell witness came out a few years later and talked to somebody who talked to somebody who talked to the FBI. That's entirely possible, but we don't know that. And this this document, so this is a real document, but what the document contains might not be real at all. So that that's the thing, you know, we got to be, we got to use our critical thinking skills here and we got to say, okay, as exciting as this seems on its surface, it may not actually be describing a real event. You know, we don't know for sure. All we know is that this was reported to the FBI by a metropolitan police officer, right? A special investigator. So that's, that's what we know for a fact. So we don't know that this is a smoking gun, unfortunately. Now, like I said earlier, this was thought to be a story told by Silas Newton. So let's talk about him a little bit. See, he was, Silas Newton was basically, he was a con man and he created this hoax about a flying saucer crash, right? Or was it? Or was it? So if you look at Silas Newton's Wikipedia page, 
they still have this memo, uh, a picture of the redacted version of the memo on there. And it's the memo says that, yeah, this memo is basically about Silas Newton. But because of these redac- redactions, that's a little less certain. Okay, so what happened with Silas Newton? His, his version of the story, he, he made up this story, and the story was published in Variety Magazine in 1949, and then a book called Behind the Flying Saucers was written by Frank Scully and published in 1950. Now, that book became a national bestseller and was very influential on the public opinion of the time. The basic story is that a UFO crashed in March of 1948. The military recovered 16 bodies from the wreckage. The UFO itself was 99 feet in diameter, and every dimension of the craft was divisible by nine. The military took the craft to research its secrets. And that's like the short, short, short version of of the story. We could do an entire episode on the hoax and all the events surrounding it. Easily, we could do a whole episode on that, but it's a hoax, so I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on it. But but according to the book, the government had other UFOs, and they all came from Venus, and they worked on magnetic propulsion <laughs> of some kind or other. Now, if you look at the details of the book, it very much reads like science fiction, and there are a lot of strange details, like, for example, the UFO was 99 feet, and everything was divisible by nine, and stuff like that. Like, the whole thing... Just sounds made what? up, right? <laughs> yeah, and it, what? it turns out that it is made up. We know, we know it came out later that Silas Newton and one of his friends, Leo G- Gebauer, G E B A U E R, Leo Gebauer, they were both con men. And the whole story centers around, uh, they, so they were trying to sell a device called a doodle bug. I love that. <laughs> a doodle bug. Yeah. And this was one of these magic devices that was supposed to be able to detect oil and gold. And they sold it to basically oil companies who were looking for areas to drill. And it was I just can't believe they would buy something like that. Well, I mean, that's the thing about con men is they can be very convincing, right? And they can say, hey, look, we've got this device that'll, you know, you buy this device from us for $40,000 or whatever. I forget what the exact number was. And you can use this device to make millions of dollars, right? And and the, they had to have been very convincing. Con men, I'm sure, usually are. Otherwise, they wouldn't be con men, right? They would very quickly retire from the profession. But they had to. They did. They did sell some of these to people, and they did uh, scam some people. They had. Uh, there's this millionaire, and he did sue them. And I'm not sure if he won or not, but they were convicted in right. 1953. Yeah, they were con- they were convicted of fraud because some of their victims came forward and they they were yes, they were uh, convicted. But that's getting a couple sentences ahead of um of where I was in the story. <laughs> whenever I think whenever I think of Conman, I always think of like John Goodman in uh, that movie Oh Brother Where Art Thou? Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, love that. yeah. <laughs> he was really good in that movie too, yeah. Mhm. <laughs> well, he even played a, another. I remember in planes, trains, and automobiles with uh, Steve oh, Martin. Okay. It was also mm-hmm. the con man. You remember he's selling uh, shower curtain rings as earrings. <laughs> I've forgotten about that. <laughs> okay, so a San Francisco Chronicle journalist named J.P. Con asked the two men for a sample from the doodle bug because they claimed that the doodle bug 
was alien technology and that it was made from materials from crashed flying saucers. But it turned out that the material was just ordinary aluminum. Similar, similar to what you might use in a cooking, cooking pan or something like that. My doodle bug? No way. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, all the doodle bugs. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the two guys, Silas Newton and Leo Gebauer, 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 apparently they made up the story of the, the crashed flying saucer from, um, did I say they said it was in Aztec, New Mexico is where it crashed. I don't think I mentioned that little detail. And it was considered, um, at one point, it was considered to be the other Roswell because it was also in New Mexico and it was also, you know, in the same time frame. It was like a, a year later, give or take, right? Or a few months later after Roswell. So it was considered to be sort of connected to it in some vague way. And over the years, the stories based on certain sources did become sort of intertwined. But the two men were eventually exposed in an article in True Magazine, which we've actually talked about True Magazine before on this show, which was in the back in the day was a pretty important source of certain stories. So as Ether said, victims came forward and they were convicted of fraud in 1953. The story of the other Roswell died off for a little while. The book written about the case was a bestseller. But other than that, after a couple of years, it just sort of kind of died off because after they were exposed... People weren't interested in the story anymore. In the late 1970s, the story had a resurgence. Leonard Stringfield claimed that the story was real and that the military had many captured UFOs hidden away in secret bases. So he sort of resurrected it again. Somehow the story became intertwined with the Roswell case and some witnesses came forward and described what had happened in the Aztec New Mexico case but sort of as a part of the Roswell story. So these, these witnesses that came forward and said, oh yeah, I totally saw this stuff. They were just borrowing information from this story and basically coming forward. I'm guessing they were trying to sell their stories to newspapers or, you know, magazines or something for a quick buck, you know, you know, oh, I totally saw this stuff. And if you give me a few bucks, I, that, that's what I'm guessing happened. There. Then I really saw it. <laughs> yeah. So the the Huddle memo again had a resurgence that we talked about in the 2010s, and this time it was considered as a smoking gun, and people were more or less unaware that it had already gone through a couple cycles. You know, it already had a couple of a uh, couple of lifespans there previously. You know, come and gone a couple times already. Um, and uh, so we talked about that. So I won't really elaborate on that too much, uh, but. That's pretty much the story of the memo. So, it, you know, after the early 2010s and it sort of died off again because um, there were some skeptical people and also not just skeptical people, but people like Dr. Bruce Maccabee, who basically said that this is nonsense. And it's even in the book, um, the book, uh, The Flying Sauces Are Real by Donald Kehoe, which I'm actually reading chapters of that on the podcast, usually when we can't meet for a regular episode. <laughs> That's actually mentions the case as well. And Kehoe is, is very enthusiastic about the topic, but even he says that this is all nonsense. You know, that, so even UFO researchers who are, you know, ufologists, I mean, pretty much both sides of the aisle and the middle most people, most serious researchers don't give any credit to the memo or to Silas Newton's story at all. They, they think it's all just pretty much a hoax. But um, like, as again, why I 
to just to repeat why we're talking about this is because with the new unredacted material, we thought that Silas Newton's name was going to be under those redactions, but they're not. It's from a police department. So that's why this memo has suddenly become interesting again. Now, there's there's no reason to believe that the memo is talking about an actual crash retrieval. We don't know that. So I, that's not what I'm saying. Okay. I just want to be clear on that, but I do want, I did want to talk about it because it's sort of like a breaking news and it's just sort of exciting to get this information released. And that's sort of why we're talking about it. Um, there's, there are a couple of similarities between the Silas Newton story and the information in the memo. For example, the Silas Newton story talked about high-powered radars, and the memo talks about high-powered radars. The aliens are three feet tall in both stories, and they are uh, they wearing they're wearing metallic cloth that has looks like it's taped or wrapped on them somehow. Now, those are similarities, but there are differences as well, such as the dimension of the craft. Um, the fact that, you know, there's different versions of, of how many craft were seen and things like that. So even though there are similarities and the memo does appear to tell Silas Newton's story, maybe it doesn't. Maybe there are similarities because, I mean, let's face it, there are a lot of witness statements who see some sort of being in a metallic, you know, metallic suit of some kind. And a lot of them report that they are short. So a short three foot tall alien wouldn't be out of the question. So even though this is probably still talking about Silas Newton's deal there, it's possible that it's not. And that sort of opens up new possibilities. And that's, so that's pretty much, I mean, in a nutshell, I mean, that's like, that's the, uh, the Silas Newton slash guy Hottle memo story in a nutshell shorter episode this week well you know some ufologists though say that the whole thing isn't a hoax that it's like a red herring yeah and uh yeah and there's i was watching this interview i wish i'd watched the whole thing but it was like two hours and it was very dry but it was by this um husband and wife and they were actually researching it together and during the course of the research they ended up getting married very romantic similar interests and that would be scott and suzanne ramsey and they spent decades tracking witnesses down, verifying that they actually like lived in the area. They said one was like a pilot, one was a, a, a working in the oil field as a very young man, but not not Silas or his friend, like a different oil field worker. And they all collaborated and said the same things. And they claimed that they hadn't talked to each other, but that they were giving the same story, which was very similar to the to the Silas story. And they had additional details that I thought were very interesting. And one of the funny parts was they said that, you know, the local ranchers, their kids came out and they were like walking on the flying saucer. They didn't know what it was. It was just some metallic object. And these researchers claim, even though... Everybody was talking about UFOs back then, that they had no idea what it was, and they were they were walking all over it. And the parents were like, "Hey, you don't you don't know where that's been? You better get down <laughs> off of that." <laughs> 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 and they said there was like this quarter size button on the outside of the craft, and somebody went in there and they pushed it with a stick, 
And the craft opened up and there were these charred bodies inside, but there was no fire. There were just like these charred bodies. And then the government came and they dismantled the craft because you're talking about a pretty big object. Like it's pretty big. And so they were asked during the interview, well, if it was a solid object and if the only thing you could see was this little quarter size, you know, button that you used to open the craft, how would you dismantle it? Because they said it was dismantled in like clean pieces, huh? you know, and they're like, oh, it was this pin system. And they started talking about this complicated like pin and needle system and how the government had come and figured it out and taken the craft away, like in, in parts, not, not whole. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't run across that that particular story. Was that supposed to be in 1948 or 1949 or? That was the Aztec UFO incident. That was the Aztec. Yeah, okay, for sure. Interesting. Yeah, I didn't see that. The only thing I saw <laughs> was that these two guys made up a UFO story to sell their doodle bug. <laughs> no, and they, you know, they were very, very insistent that it was not a hoax, and that you know there were real that there were real witnesses other than Silas. And that this was this was a true story. This had actually had happened, and they were they really genuinely seemed to believe it as well. They they you know thought that it was a genuine story. Huh? Wouldn't that be interesting if the hoaxers actually t- spoke with somebody who told them this story that was based on a real witness account, and then they used that to make up their own story and sort of elaborated <laughs> on stuff, and who knows? then. Use that to sell the doodle book. So what if, what if that's interesting? What if these hoaxers got the story from somewhere? Uh, no, cause they were invest. Well, I don't know. They seem to think it was the same story. I like it. Yeah. I gotta you tell like you, it? I like it. Yeah. I like it. I think that's a good, that's a good story right there as well. <laughs> I guess this whole thing too, no, that- you know, like most incidents, it's become kind of a tourist thing in, uh, in the area. You know, because it's like the second Roswell. And they, they used to have like this symposium for the library and they would have speakers come in like ufologists yeah. and they would they would raise money for the library. Yeah, that's a pretty cool way to raise money. <laughs> yeah, they, they stopped doing it, but uh, they did it for a while. I think like five years. But all right. Yeah. So this is that's a short case. That's all I had. Did you have anything else, Agent Ether? Yeah, but you, Agent ETA. Uh, I mean, you covered everything I had in my notes. Well, all so right. I, I, yeah, I don't have anything else to, to add there beside opinion. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, so a little shorter, little shorter than one this week, but that's okay. <laughs> I mean, I just wanted to talk about it because it's a current event and I thought it was pretty cool that we got, we got new information uncovered here, guys. Well, I just want to mention that you too can fly your own spaceship on Google. Um, I was looking at the Hoddle memo, and I guess it also made a resurgence in 2013 because that was like the 66th year anniversary of Roswell. And Google did one of their doodles. And so if you go to the 66th anniversary for Roswell to Google, you can play this game and you're a little alien and you crash in New Mexico and you have to find the pieces of your ship so you can fly away again. It's just, (laughs) that's awesome. It's a quick little game, didn't take me very long to do, but. Everyone should go and play this doodle. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> also, this this is a good example of why we haven't done the Roswell case yet, because this case got tied up, you know, intertwined with Roswell. And this like this is just one memo that 
sort of spanned the years and kept popping up over the years. And it, like the, the Roswell case is just such a confusing and convoluted mess that we would have to do multiple episodes, like just on each little piece of it, you know, like this is just one little piece of the Roswell case that turns out to probably not be connected to Roswell at all. But many people over the years, people have written books on this thing, you know, like it's just, it's just really, really interesting just how convoluted the whole Roswell case has gotten and how difficult it is to sort of parse all of the little pieces to try to, you know, come up with some sort of coherent narrative or version of, of events, you know, to present. But, uh, yeah, so we'll probably get to more pieces of the little Roswell story there eventually, but uh, yeah. I don't know exactly well, when. And the, uh, the the FBI's vault does have a page on on Roswell, so. Yeah. And then you, you were saying that this was the most, uh, not the most reviewed thing on in the vault, correct? Or I think it is, right? The most, the is it the most viewed, Anderson? I'm not sure if it is the most viewed, but it does have millions of downloads, though. I mean, a lot of people looked at this thing. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and then uh, so the the crafts though that they were in, where was it? I always see fifty feet. Did you guys say that was like ninety or give or take? What was the the size of these things? These circular saucers. Well, the the memo says that it was fifty feet, and yeah, fifty feet. But the book or the the reports from from uh, the hoaxers that was turned into an article and then later a book by um oh, what was that guy's name again let me scroll back up in my notes frank scully that's it yeah so frank scully talked to the hoaxers and then he published a magazine article and then a book based on what they said and in his version the ufo itself was 99 feet in diameter so there's there's that's that's why i was remember i was saying that the memo doesn't specifically say that Silas Newton was the sto- was the source of the information, even though there are similarities in the story, they're not exact matches. So you know what what uh, Silas Newton said doesn't exactly match what is in this memo. But then again, the story has reared its head so many times over the years that it's possible that this is a version of the story that got passed around. We don't know, but hopefully. Um, hopefully this will continue to evolve and we will get more documents. Perhaps a police report from the Metropolitan Police will surface or something like that. The sex and, squad. And it will finally, you know, solve the mystery of this guy Hoddle memo and we'll know exactly what happened. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we'll get the secret sex squad files. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a uh, late seventies porn or something. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Oh, oh, Hey, the sex squad. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, I got a kind of mind boggle. Oh, that's right. Agent Ether has a mind boggle. Okay. Are you going to are you going to do the mind boggle thing? I don't know the mind boggle thing. You do it. All right, fine. I'll do the mind boggle thing. Wait, wait. I got I got a music cue for okay. the mind boggle thing. Okay, here we go. Strange events, bizarre facts, the unbelievable revealed. This is the mind boggle of the week. What's the mind boggle? Um, picture of Proxima Centauri. Oh, strange photographs from space? <laughs> that works. <laughs> All right, there you go. <laughs> 
All right, so everybody knows we have this fancy schmancy new infrared telescope up there. Certainly surpasses the Hubble. It's the James Webb Space Telescope. It's been in the news a lot with its pretty pictures. Uh, they haven't released enough, but there's this scientist, Etienne Klein. He's over in France. He's a physicist. He sits on the, the board, I think, in the Alternative Energy and Atomic Energy Commission. So he went ahead and shared this tweet, and it's a really high level of detail. And he writes, it's a picture of Proxima Centauri, the nearest star to the sun, located 4.2 light years away from us. It was taken by the James Webb Space Telescope. This level of detail is a new world unveiled every day. It's pretty exciting stuff, actually. And so you look at it, and it... The detail is amazing. It kind of looks like you would expect maybe our sun to look and there's, you know, rings of fire and you're like looking at it and you're like, wow, I'm looking at a, another star and it looks, it looks amazing. It's so. Is this, is this the chorizo? Yes, it was just. <laughs> I knew it. It was just a close up of a chorizo taken on a black background. It was a, <laughs> it was a Rank and people were taken in. I saw the picture, I was taken in. I was like, Hey, that's really cool. And he, you know, backtracked. He's like, No, I was just, you know, I just want to show that you should be cautious regarding images that seem to speak for themselves, you know. But you know, then he tried to make amends. He posted a picture of the cartwheel galaxy, which I think got posted early because. You know, you want your scientific community to be credible, so when they're posting... But yeah, you have to have some credibility in the scientific community, and I feel like this really takes something away because there are people out there who think that NASA images are hoaxes. And if you think about how they're put together, I mean, that's not what we would see with the naked eye. We don't have infrared vision. So they color enhance these photos and they're coming in and, and there's already people who are like, that, that isn't actually what we're looking at. That isn't real. That's just reconstructed. And so to have something like this happen, it just, it really makes me sad. It's unfortunate. It is. This is like the most powerful telescope ever. And they're posting pictures of chorizo <laughs> that i feel like they would have gotten away with it if they saved it for april fools right that would have been perfect but. maybe oh i thought you're gonna say know. if it wasn't only for those pesky kids <laughs> oh <laughs> would have gotten away with it kids. if it wasn't for those pesky kids it's so interesting to me because when you're looking Switch at these chorizo. images you're actually looking back in time right and the yeah. further you look you know the further away they are the further back in time that you're that you're looking and kind of like kind of blows your mind. So when you're looking at like, let's say Sirius is 8.6 light years away, then you're looking at light that's been traveling and it's from 8.6 years ago. Like light from the sun, the light we're seeing, it's not instantaneous. It seems like light is everywhere and it's all around us, but it has like this finite speed. So we're getting old light. It's not new light. It's not instantaneous light. It's old light. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a trip if you think about it. Like, if the sun blew up, we wouldn't know it for a few minutes. I think you know? it's eight. Eight minutes. <laughs> eight we minutes, have eight yeah. minutes. <laughs> Crazy. You can do this fun thing where you can go online and you can find your uh, birth star. So you look and see how many light years away this, the star is that's closest to your, your birthday. So I'm, I'm 43. 
So I looked in, my star is Capella, and the light that I'm seeing from this star started traveling towards me 43 years ago. And it, yeah, so it sounds cool. And you're like, oh, it's 43 years. That's not a lot, but that's actually 2.5 times 10 to the 14 miles away. <laughs> that's a lot of miles. It is. Light travels so fast. So How can I look up mine? I just joined 30 last night or last week. So. I'll send you the, the link. I'll post the link because it's kind of cool. You can go and put in. Oh, that's fun. Put in your age and find your well, you're find talking your about birth star. Putting, I mean it I mean if I gotta do math like what you just said, man, I'm not I'm never gonna find out how old I am. That's that's why <laughs> they need to is. release the Alcubierre drive they got hidden away so we can go travel to places like that. Yeah, right? that would be. And it rolls off the tongue, whatever you just said with That'd your be casting awesome. of spells. Alcubierre. I can't do it. Yeah, it's a the a physicist came up with a theoretical way in the nineties of being able to travel faster than the speed of light without breaking our current understanding of physics. So it is possible. We just need, you know, something with like a negative mass or antimatter, something weird like that. I forget. Oh, that's it? Yeah. That's it. That's all we need. (laughs) Matter that doesn't actually exist. Simple. Simple. Elementary, Watson. All right, Agent Ether, was that your mind boggle of the week? Well, it mind boggled me. Yeah, no, that's cool. That's cool. (laughs) Um, Mind boggled other people too. Trust me, they didn't think they were looking at a chorizo. We haven't actually done a mind boggle in a little while. No. Yeah, it's good to get good to get back to them. All right. Well, uh, I think shout out to the audience. That's all about our audience is mostly gone, but we still got Bronco Zach is still hanging around here. uh, That's half of our audience. Yeah. Thanks for (laughs) listening. And that, no, thank you, Zork Manifold and Fat Guy. Honestly, you guys, thank you for the kind words. I appreciate that. I just wanted to throw that in there. We wouldn't be doing this if you guys weren't listening, you know? Yeah. You make it all possible. All right. Well, that's about all we got for you this week. Thanks for listening. Keep it strange. All right.